Hi, everybody, and welcome to Redeemed Through His Blood. In this podcast, we discuss hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm Scott Durfee. Let me introduce my partner in this project, our teacher, David Durfee. Good morning, everyone. Nice to be with you. As always, Dave, good to have you here. Looking forward to another great day of podcasts. Uh, for, we want to thank everybody for your contributions through emails and suggestions and suggestions on how maybe we can be better. But most importantly, we're really grateful for the questions that we've been receiving. We've received several questions. We'll be addressing many of those throughout uh, the course of our podcast series here. Uh, so we want to just continue encourage you to continue to send those questions to us, make recommendations, any suggestions you may have, we're definitely open to those. And you can do that at our email. Uh, here's that address. He redeems us at gmail.com. Again, just to encourage your questions, comments, etc. So um, uh, as we start today's podcast, Dave, what do you think is our best course of action in moving forward? Well, th- thank you, Scott. Um by the way, uh, to our listeners who have uh, emailed us, uh, we're really we really are thankful for your questions and comments. And uh, we may not always directly reference your questions or your comments, but uh, they do influence us. And uh, for example, I'm thinking of one right now who had a really great question about Luke chapter seven and. Uh, we'll, we're going to answer that. We're, we're going to get to that where it kind of more appropriately fits into our outline. We may not even reference the question uh, directly, but uh, it will influence uh, what we say and how we how we teach, recognizing forgiveness and the the power of Christ's forgiveness and His love in our life. So, uh, if if you happen to ask a question and you need an immediate answer. Maybe you need to tell us that and and tell us how we can reach out to you. Um, Or thank you, just thank you for being patient in us uh, getting around to answering those questions. So last week we we spoke about faith in Christ and faith in the name of Christ. We have talked about the different levels of faith— uh, generally and specifically in Christ, and how can we obtain a little bit the faith of power, which is the highest level of faith, the faith of power in our lives. There's everything from faith of I believe, I hope, I know, and then the faith of power described by President Nelson and others, the faith to move mountains and the faith to command, the faith to anything that you speak. It will be according to the will of God, and therefore it will be done. Those are, uh, those are, there are many great examples of the highest level of faith in the Scriptures, and, and we need to reiterate that even God performs miracles by his faith. Uh, God creates worlds by faith. That's all in, that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, uh, and in the lectures of faith, that, that God has faith, and someday uh, as we progress in our levels of faith, someday we, we can only hope and uh, aspire in righteousness to have the, that level of faith and to become more like him. So we also talked about, Scott, what it means to call upon the name, uh, the difference between just calling upon God and calling upon the name of the Lord. It's just really interesting as you study your scriptures, if you'll, if, if you'll just really pay attention and your ears will kind of perk up and your eyes get a little larger when you read in the name or on the name, faith in the name, calling upon the name. I, I just think it can really inspire our listeners, it inspires me. It uh, kind of helps me to just really focus on Jesus Christ and the power in his name, the power in using his name, and ultimately that uh, exaltation and our, our progress in this life is based upon our relationship with him. Uh, 
which is a covenant relationship based upon us taking upon ourselves his name. So in the scriptures, calling upon the name, when most people read that, they immediately think of prayer, to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, I know that it means prayer. In the lowest level, it means prayer. In the highest level of that phrase in the scriptures, it means to participate in the ordinances, the saving ordinances uh, of the gospel. And I actually first became aware of that reading a Protestant commentary of the Bible. I was reading this commentary of the Bible in Acts chapter 22, and uh, in the commentary on, uh, on verses uh, 12 through 16, where Ananias is speaking to Paul, and you get to verse uh, 16, and Ananias says to Paul, I'll read verse 16. This is chapter 22 of Acts. So before you do that, Dave, let's just recap real quick. What's happened to Paul now? Paul has been struck blind. Right. right? And now he's been led to this home of Ananias. Right. And so he's gone through this experience, and we know that Paul has uh, had kind of a colored or checkered past in terms of his relationship with Christians. Uh, we know that he was there when Stephen the prophet was stoned. We know that uh, there was... Uh, probably you know, held his cloak. Probably held his cloak, and there was a lot of other things that Paul had done that really was kind of against the grain of Christianity at that time. Yeah. Yeah, Paul... Uh has now been called by the Lord, and as he is led to Ananias, a prophet, he uh, receives this counsel from Ananias. And in verse 16, Ananias says to Paul, who will soon be, uh, to Saul, who will soon become Paul. Okay, this is what reference? One more time. Acts 22, verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Ananias asks Saul, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So in this uh, Protestant commentary I read years ago, they said calling upon the name of the Lord means to take upon ourselves the name of the Lord, to receive power in our lives through the the name of the Lord and receiving that that name in our life by being baptized. So through ordinances. Yes, and and we learn right. We learn in Mosiah uh, five that taking upon ourselves the name to be called after Christ's name to become the children of Christ that is being baptized, and then because of the restoration of the fullness of the gospel, we know that going to the temple, we take upon ourselves his name, his holy name. I think we read that in, in Doctrine and Covenants section 109, that we go to the house of the Lord to take upon ourselves his name. And even a more sacred and even in a, in a deeper sort of way, it's, it's symbolic, the temple of the, of the Middle East marriage covenant, and to become joint heirs with Christ, so calling upon the name, as you read the scriptures, really means to participate in the ordinances of the gospel, and before we participate in the ordinance of the gospel, we are commanded to repent. And in Alma chapter 34, Amulek teaches us that calling upon the name of the Lord means to call upon his mercy, and to call upon uh, Christ and his atonement for his forgiveness. So in verse 17, it reads of Alma chapter 34, I'll read 17 and 18, Therefore may God grant unto you, my brethren, remember he's speaking to the Zoramites, and this is a follow-up to Alma's incredible discourse on faith and how to, how to plant the seed in our hearts and obtain faith uh, by looking to Christ. Uh, Amulek says, Therefore may God grant unto you, my brethren, that ye may begin to exercise your faith unto repentance, that ye begin to call upon his holy name, that he would have mercy upon you. Yea, cry unto him for mercy, 
for he is mighty to save. So we know that calling upon the name again means to pray, but it's a it's a it's not just a common prayer. It it's a prayer for mercy. It's it's the prayer or crying out, crying out unto God for mercy, for salvation, for redemption, for forgiveness. Uh, calling upon the name, upon His holy name is, I believe, the process described in the Scriptures to call upon Jesus Christ and the power of His atonement. We can do that through prayer at the, at the beginning, and ultimately, the highest order of calling upon the name is to participate in the ordinances of the gospel. And this, is, this takes us through the process we call repentance, which, which we need to talk more about today is what repentance is, and we probably should begin our discussion of repentance, Scott, by describing what it's not. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think I just want to I just want to kind of highlight one thing in uh, chapter Alma thirty four seventeen. Uh, halfway down or through that verse, I'll just read the whole verse. Actually, therefore, may God grant unto you, my brethren, that you may get, begin to exercise your faith unto repentance. So the the way Amulek makes it sound here, Dave, is that this is a process. This isn't a one time event. This isn't just something that we get to and we do. Uh, we come to and we do, for example. Uh, but it's actually a process that you may begin to exercise your faith unto repentance that you begin to call upon his holy name that he would have mercy on you. So you're asking him that you, to have mercy on you, but also that this qualifies us for his mercy on us. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, crying unto God is an important part of that process we call repentance. Crying out to him. And we cry out to him to have the blood or the atonement of Jesus Christ applied in our life. We cry out to God to be able to access the power and the atonement of Jesus Christ. And how do we do it? In the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know if we really understand fully or appreciate as much as we should what it really means to pray in the name or to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. So many times when we pray, we just it just rolls off our tongue and it just yeah. we just end our prayers in the name and it 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 doesn't it doesn't uh, take upon it, it doesn't have the power upon us that it should have upon us. Yeah. I think of, you know, when I think of this type of a prayer, I, I automatically, and for obvious reasons, my mind has been trained to go to these types of things. But uh, the 11th step of our recovery programs says, the sought, sought through prayer and meditation to maintain a conscious contact with God. Uh, and I think, of, I think of when we're talking about praying uh, this way, calling upon him, that's what we're really doing. It's a communion. It's a, we're putting effort into it. We're listening, and that's part of our effort. We're listening, we're feeling, we're listening with our hearts too. So we're feeling, and, and all of these things that can help us bring us closer to him do, really helps us to take upon us his name. So go right ahead. So uh, in, in our religious tradition, that calling upon the name is the name of Jesus Christ and receiving that name, not just invoking it in prayer, yeah, but when we, when we use it and when we call upon it, Scott, we are invoking the power of Christ and his atonement in our life. And ultimately, and I believe this is an important part of, of repentance, is to participate in the ordinances of the gospel and the sacrament prayer. We mentioned this before, but it's right in the sacrament prayer that the sacrament is evidence of our willingness to take upon ourselves the name of Christ. 
All of that is what it means to call upon the name of Christ or to call upon the name of the Lord. I, I, it used to strike me as being kind of odd that um, the brother of Jared, when before they got in their barges and before they were led uh, to the promised land, that while setting on a beach, right, for, for how many, for a few years, um, uh, I think, how long were they there? Like three hours, three years, wasn't it? Four right. years. They were there four years. Sitting on a beach for four years, maybe being a little comfortable, maybe this is a nice place, and, and uh, they call the place Moriankamer. I'm in Ether, chapter 2. And at the end of four years, that the Lord came again unto the brother of Jared and stood in the cloud and talked with him. This is verse 14 of Ether 2. And this always struck me as being kind of... didn't didn't seem right to me. And for the space of three hours did the Lord talk with the brother of Jared and chastened him because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. And the brother of Jared repented of the evil which he had done and did call upon the name of the Lord. Well, I, I thought, that, that's, that's odd. He wouldn't pray for four years. Here's a prophet. Here is a prophet who, who for four years <laughs> didn't pray. Uh, you know, I, that, just, that really seemed uh, just not even possible. Yeah, impossible. Impossible. And, and so I think when he gets chastised for three hours here, chastened because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. I think it, it means something more than just praying. I think that maybe he was too comfortable there, that maybe he hadn't uh, quite trusted in the Lord like he should, or hadn't maybe received the covenant that he was going to receive or take upon himself, uh, really in chapter 3 when the Lord appears to him. Uh, something is going on here other than him not just saying his prayers morning and evening, that there's something missing besides just a omission of pray praying. He's not repenting. He's not, he's not uh, renewing or entering into the covenants, perhaps, that he, that he should have while he was there and that maybe he shouldn't have been there as long as he had been there for four years on the beach. It was a nice beach. Yeah, it must have been a nice beach. But that he wasn't uh, being proactive uh, in calling upon the name of the Lord through repenting or participating in the ordinance of the gospel, perhaps like he should have. So I, I just I believe that there's there's power that we can receive in our life when we know what we're doing and what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. And when we invoke that name and when we, when we use that name, there's power in that, Scott. And it, it definitely does uh, affect our relationship with, with our Heavenly Father as we call upon Him in the name of Jesus Christ. And it, and it uh, is a reflection how we use his name, it's a reflection of our relationship with Jesus Christ himself. I wonder how many of us have been on that proverbial beach ourselves. I think we all, I know I have, I know there's been times in my life, I'm saying my prayers, I'm going through the motions and doing, and, and you know, and, and I, when I say going through the motions, I'm not suggesting that my heart's not into it, at least at some level. But there's, there's a clear and concise difference the way you just put this to us. There's a clear and concise difference between being all in or calling upon his name and just being a little bit in. And I, and I don't know that often, in fact, I know that in fact we don't often make that cognizant choice or it's not something that's premeditated, not some, but we just find ourselves there sometimes. We just find ourselves because 
for whatever reason, and we can go back and talk about what those reasons would be, but I don't think we need to because I think that we can identify those in our own lives. But some of them may be, am I taking my my personal prayers too casual? Am I really communing and, and renewing covenants when I'm sitting at the uh, sacrament table on Sunday? And among many, many, many other things. How's my commitment to my covenants in the temple? How's my commitment and my covenants to my family? Uh, and and uh, many, many other things. I wonder how many often, how often many of us, and you know, we read about this uh, in the Book of Mormon where it says that oftentimes Satan will help us to be lulled away into carnal security, causing us to say, all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, when it's not, and we can sometimes deceive ourselves or become deceived in believing that, you know, we're doing well. And then we find ourselves, like the brother of Jared, Mahanrai, here, right, on the beach, um, getting chastised. And I, I bet he was uh, like, yeah, you're right. You know, I don't think any one of us would be surprised if we had something brought to our attention that maybe we're somewhat remiss in in terms of making sure that we are following through to the nth degree. In other words, are we really calling upon his name? Yeah, and the, the sacred nature of all that that means can be really a powerful, um, motivating force in, in our life. Um, Heavenly Father is really happy when anybody will pray to him in any form. Absolutely. Uh, in any way, you know, uh, Christian or non-Christian. Uh, I know our Heavenly Father is, is really grateful for any prayer, even the prayer on the food that we sometimes take for granted. And uh, even the prayer of a man falling off a cliff, oh, God, help me. Yeah, yeah. God hears every prayer, and he's grateful, and he's touched by, by every prayer. But to call upon the name of the Lord is a, a deeper, more sacred, um, uh, it's a higher form or level of worship to call upon the name of the Lord, to invoke that name, and to express our willingness to take upon ourselves his name, and, and to call upon Christ as our advocate and mediator to the Father, and to receive covenants in his name. That, that's all a, a deeper part of our of our worship, or at least it should be, Scott. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, too, Dave, that we could safely say that when Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor, that this is part of that coming unto me. This is a more complete coming unto our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is when we call upon his name. And we're going to get into why that is indeed the case as we start to talk about covenants and how those things, uh, you know, work their way into our lives or how we bring them into our lives by fully calling upon his name. And right now, we're going to talk about it as we talk about the process we call repentance. Again, everyone, we have, we have, we have said this, and we'll continue to say this, that um, redemption through the blood of Christ and the power to be able to access the, the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life is following the doctrine of Christ. That is... That is the uh, actions that allow us to access the power and blood of Christ in our lives. And again, the doctrine of Christ is faith in Christ. Uh, it's repentance. It's baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end, which includes our continual participation in the atonement of Jesus Christ through the ordinances of, of the gospel, including partaking of the sacrament. Uh, so, uh, as, we have, as we move on from faith in Christ, we want to talk about uh, repentance and what that means. I think before we talk about what it is, we need to talk about what it is not. So, I want to offer maybe four, there's so many, yeah. uh, and, and I guess there's, you could, we could make a, a long list, 
of a dozen or more of what repentance is not. But I think these four are really critical, and the four that often seem to uh, grab the attention mostly of students that I taught in the Repentance and Forgiveness class. And um, the first one is, I think, maybe the most important one to understand. And so let me just kind of say it this way. Faith is not, absolutely is not, the punishment for sin, the payment for sin, or the penalty for sin. Repentance is not punishment. Repentance is not the penalty. Repentance is not the payment for any sin. We cannot pay back in any form or fashion in all of the suffering we go through because of our sins, the consequences of our sins. Nothing that we can do can pay back one millionth of one percent of any sin we ever commit. Jesus Christ paid the punishment, all of it, 100% of it, not not 99.9, 100%. He met the demands of justice for all of us. He paid the penalty. He suffered the consequences in the uh, payment, penalty, and punishment for our sins. He suffered spiritual death, all for us because of of our sins. So Dave, I believe that and and I know that to be the case now, but you know, we read we read in the scriptures. For example, in uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 19 verse 4, right? Uh, and it says, "And surely every man must repent or suffer, for I God am endless." And so if repentance is not punishment, and it says here that if we don't repent, we must suffer. It says they're antonyms. Read, read verse 4 again. And surely every man must repent or suffer. Okay, so repentance is an antonym. To if suffering. You, right. right. If you so, repent, you won't suffer. If you, if you repent, you won't pay the price. You won't. You can't pay the punishment. I, I just think I just think we misread that. Yeah, I now, do too. Now I know President Kimball, President Oaks, and and many others who have taught repentance teach that if we don't suffer, then we can't fully repent. Well, I get that because I've I've experienced a broken heart and contrite spirit. Believe me, that's not that's not easy. And there's suffering involved. A broken heart hurts. They're suffering. They're suffering as a result of our sins, because of our sins. But repentance is not the payment for sins, because Jesus did all of that. Repentance is actually the anecdote to sins. Because if you think about it, and we're going to talk about this. Here's a spoiler alert. We're going to talk about how repentance is actually a turning away from our sins and turning toward the Savior and coming unto Him. That's what repentance really is, and we're going to talk about that. I don't want to get into that in full right now, but I, it's important that we kind of know that going into this because in in uh, verses 16 uh, through 18 of that exact same section in the Doctrine and Covenants 19, it reads, For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they keep reading. So that means, though, that if they would turn to him, then the, the suffering won't need to be. In other words, put, it, put on the atonement of Jesus Christ. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit? And would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. And then you got to read verse 20, Scott. Uh, and 19, actually. This, this, is, this is what we're going to suffer. Yeah. If we don't repent, then this is what we're going to suffer. But nowhere in the verses that you just read does it say that we're going to suffer for our sins. No, now, that's, I, that's important. I know that's been said, but because the word because can be easily used in place of the word for. So when when others say, 
and and I know it's in in some writings and teachings that that's been taught in the church that people say that you, that if you don't repent, you will suffer for your sins. I believe that means that we will suffer because, because of, our, of sins. our sins. I do too. All right, so let me read nineteen. Never, nevertheless, glory be to the Father, and I partook. And I finished my preparations unto the children of men. Wherefore, this is verse 20, Wherefore, I command you again to repent, lest I humble you with my almighty power, and that you confess your sins, lest you suffer these punishments, of which I have spoken, of which in the smallest, yea, even in the least degree, you have tasted at any time. I withdrew when I withdrew when my, I withdrew my spirit. So losing the losing the spirit, losing the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost can't stay with us when we sin. That's our punishment for sins. That's it. But there's nothing about that 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 meets the demands of justice. Christ paid for all of our sins. I, I want to read. Uh, this is from Elder Anderson's book uh, called "The Divine Gift of Forgiveness." Uh, We have no ability to pay for our own sins. Repentance is exactly the opposite of punishment. Repentance relieves the guilt and pain and suffering caused by sin. Jesus Christ paid for all the sins of all the world. Uh, A little pause here. Um, Elder Anderson and I once had a discussion about this, and um, all of the times we read in the verses that talk about Jesus Christ paying for all the sin, and and sometimes it's singular in the Bible, it's singular one time, but most of the time it's plural, paid for all the sins of all the world. And we could, we even know worlds, right? worlds without number. And then he goes on and says, our repentance does not pay for one ounce of the sins we have committed. The atonement of Jesus Christ fulfilled all the demands of justice perfectly and exactly. Our attention must be on him, and our appreciation must be for his suffering. If we worry, this is so important, this sentence is one of my favorite in the book, because I think it's it can really, if we don't understand what repentance is not, that it's not the payment, punishment, or penalty for sin, it, people who don't understand that, Scott, it becomes a major hang-up or stumbling block for them to repent, and that's why I want to talk about this so much because I believe, Dave, and I've been, I've been, I've been this guy, that guy, yeah, I, and I know many others in the church they have get also stuck. right, and and when we get stuck and hung up on this stuff, we don't have a clear and concise view of what the atonement of Jesus Christ really is and how it works in our lives, right? So go ahead. So he he writes, quote, if we worry. Whether we have paid back or suffered enough for our sins, it will impede our ability to repent and to ever feel forgiven, bringing painful discouragement with it. Well, there's so many in the church who are stuck on trying to suffer enough. I haven't suffered enough. I haven't been punished enough. Uh, and they like want to flog themselves yeah, yeah. and self disparage themselves and beat themselves up and shame themselves, thinking that that's going to help them to feel forgiven. I got a phone call this morning, six a.m. from the county jail. Uh, a man in the county jail, and again uh, for you know again for a repeat violation. Actually, this was a parole violation. And his com and I said, "Hey, how you doing? You're going to be okay, you know. We get trying to encourage and so on." And his comment to me was, "Well, this is punishment." And you know that's so often why we feel that way is because we tend to take what we are familiar with, our culture, our our norms and mores here in our lives, and we tend to personify that to a heavenly Father. And we can't make God human in this. And so I think that it's really easy for us to think, well, I'm in jail today as punishment for what I did. And I got to repent today as punishment for what I did. No, what we are learning here is that the difference between 
punishment and and saving is actually coming through this repentance. And so I, this is a question. We taught this just two weeks ago in our institute class that Deb and I, my wife and I teach uh, for young single adults at BYU and UVU, same course. Uh, and this was a question that comes up. And it's, here it's the question. It's what's the difference between suffering for your sins and suffering because of your sins? And, and you know, Christ has paid the price and so for all us, of all of it, and it's, and it's paid for whether we call on his name or not, it doesn't change his experience in the garden or on the cross, whether we apply it or not. What it changes is us. That's already been paid. It's just us now turning to him and away from the other stuff in our lives that keep us separated from his spirit. Uh, we, we can never suffer enough. No. We can never be punished enough. But because Christ is enough, because Christ suffered enough, we must learn to rely on him. And honestly, Scott, this is the center of repentance. And this is, unfortunately, this is a part where so many people fell in in their efforts and in the process of repentance, is they, they they do not know how or they've never been taught to rely totally, absolutely, completely upon Jesus Christ and his atonement and upon his merits, which is the suffering and punishment which he experienced for our sins. Those are his merits that we need to learn, as the Book of Mormon clearly teaches over and over again, we must rely upon his merits and not our own. And I don't know why that is so hard for members of the church and, and others outside our church. It's I guess it's a human nature thing where we, where we think we have to pay for it. Now, I'm not saying that there's not suffering. I'm not saying that there isn't discipline. I'm not saying that there's there there's it takes a lot of effort on our part to be able to really receive the merits of Christ and the blessings of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life it's not easy but it is repentance really is that simple so um, again I just I want to restate and I can't do it strongly enough that uh, we will suffer because of our sins, and there has to be suffering in repentance, which is the broken heart, contrite spirit, godly sorrow, and maybe there'll even be some disciplinary action. Maybe maybe if our sins are so serious, God, that it's hurt others, it's gone beyond just our own little bubble, and it has damaged others, then there may be some discipline. Not just not just civilly, on behalf in behalf of the government or our society, but but in behalf of the church. You know, we have membership councils. There are consequences uh, sometimes in those councils. One's membership may be taken away from them, lifted. Uh, privileges may be taken away or lifted. Uh, there's there's actions that can take place as a result of those memberships councils. But none of that is meant to be in any way, shape, or form the punishment, payment, or penalty for sin. These these membership councils are councils of love to help the individual to repent, to help them to more speedily repent, to help them to center their repentance and their focus on Jesus Christ and the others who he has suffered for, which may have been the result of our sins. Yeah, absolutely right. <clears throat> I have been in one of those um, membership councils that you re- that you referred to, and because of my sins, uh, there was some disciplinary. My membership was lifted uh, for a time, for a couple of years. Uh, I was not, uh, of record, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
and and to some people, and and for whatever reason, I feel like I should say this, and so maybe somebody needs to hear this. But for some reason, in fact, my brother Brian, who uh, was just released as a bishop in his ward not long ago, was talking to somebody in our family at a family gathering about this very thing, and I heard him say, "Ask Scott," and I said, "What are you talking about over there?" And he says, "Well." I, I am trying to tell these guys that membership councils are a spiritual experience. They're not a negative thing. And he says, you told me one time, Scott, that the, your membership council was one of the most spiritual experiences that you had ever experienced. And, and he was accurate in that. That was absolutely true. Uh, because uh, there are things that, you know, in our lives that it feels like even if we haven't damaged other people if or whatever, but there are things in our lives that sometimes there are it, it, there is a requirement of a deeper calling upon the name, which it requires some assistance, uh, some power. Uh, priesthood power, etc. And so, you know, if we can remember, I never felt one time, Dave, and I mean this, uh, I never felt one time that being in that council was punishment for anything that I had done. I saw that as a way to help me turn more fully to calling upon the Savior, his name. Uh, which would prepare me again in the future at that point to participate again in ordinances, etc., that would allow the full fullness of the atonement to be alive and well in my life. Now it was a full it was the fullness of the atonement was alive and well in my life at that time too. Otherwise the the events would not have been taking place. But an important, I think, thing to note here is that even those, even those disciplinary or membership, I, I guess I call them, even those membership councils are not punishment, but an assistance in turning more fully to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Totally. And uh, and thank you for uh, sharing that, uh, Scott. I know that's, that's uh, sacred. Um, and I've been involved uh, kind of on the ecclesiastical end of dozens of those e. Uh, uh, of those membership councils. And uh, what you're describing, your experience to be, uh, thank you, is the result of your preparation for those councils and where you were at at the time in your life. If you would have had that council maybe a year or two earlier, you maybe wouldn't have felt that. But because you came to the council with a broken heart, contrite spirit, uh, you did feel the Holy Ghost, and and you did receive the real intent of those councils, which is to help an individual to uh, improve their relationship with Jesus Christ and to quickly, speedily qualify them uh, to be able to make the restitution necessary. We'll talk about what that means later. Uh, to be able to participate in the ordinances and covenants of the gospel, to make sure that they're worthy to do that. And and uh, I just am really grateful for the experiences I've had in all the membership councils I've participated in. And almost all of them, almost all of them have really been spiritual experiences. In fact, some of the greatest spiritual experiences of my life, I think they're, they're some of the most spiritual meetings I've ever had in the church, but not always true. I've had some really hard ones, some really sad ones, where individuals were not ready to do that, where the church maybe called them in, where they didn't initiate it, but because of things that they had done, or especially in the cases of of, uh, of, uh, of apostasy. You know, I, I've unfortunately had the experience of being uh, involved in the case of many individuals, some of them of some nerd notoriety who uh who have done some pretty awful things and and um the the, the church is required to, to do that by the lord to help to help those individuals to protect innocent victims and to protect the integrity of the church so none of that pays back anything in regards to uh, what is required to meet the demands of justice to pay back or to be punished for our sins. Jesus did all that. He did all of that 100%. Anything that we do in the church or individually should be to help an individual to understand 
the atonement of Jesus Christ, what he did suffer, why he suffered, who he suffered for, and to help them to be able to accept that, to feel gratitude for that, and to access that power uh, in their life. I, I, I want to share, if I can, quickly, the analogy, the beautiful analogy that Elder Anderson uh, writes in his book about uh, sin and suffering. He, he writes, A person cannot suffer for his sins, but he will suffer because of his sins. There is always a punishment in sinning, but the punishment, the suffering, and the pain are caused by the sin, not by the repentance. When someone has cancer and surgery is required, it is not the surgery that is the cause of the suffering, it's the cancer. The surgery is temporarily difficult, but the cancer is the villain, not the surgery. Sin causes suffering, not repentance. Well, I really love that because, you know, President Nelson has said repentance is joy. Repentance is joy. It's synonymous with joy. It's not, repentance is not the bad guy. Repentance is the good guy. It's sin that causes us pain and sadness, and it's sin that robs us of our peace. Repentance is to help us to restore all that. But if you were the bad guy and you wanted to uh, persuade people to not believe that, you would make repentance the bad guy. Yeah, which Satan has done a pretty good job, hasn't he? Absolutely. And especially the way he shames us. Yeah. Or especially the way he gets us to shame ourselves. And each other. And each other. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Yeah. So, number one, what is repentance not? So, So important. It's not a punishment. It's not a penalty. But repentance is what relieves the guilt and pain and suffering caused by sin. Exactly. Yeah. So again, let's ask ourselves the question, what's the difference between suffering for our sins and suffering because of our sins? I think that would be a great meditation throughout this week for us to consider that. What's the difference between suffering for your sins and suffering because of your sins? Dave, there's uh, two others that we... Uh, and, and Scott, just we read that. I want to remind our readers, we just read in Doctrine Covenant section 19, I think verse 20, Yeah, that, that the real suffering... As a result of our sin, the result, the suffering because of our sin is the loss of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of the Lord in our life, the loss of the light of Christ in our life. I, I think that's important that they understand that that is most of the suffering is to lose the Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we said that there are four things that it is not. We've talked about one. We have about uh, 10 or 15 minutes left. I don't think we're going to get through all four and give them proper uh, and give them the due that they deserve. So let's talk next about the second one, Dave. Repentance is not, absolutely not, a checklist. So you're telling me that it's not a bunch of steps we take and hoops we jump through. <laughs> we, and... we we absolutely should not see it that way. Now I know in Elder Anderson's book we we discuss this too. Uh, you know, it, maybe a checklist is helpful to some people. Maybe some people that's their operating system. Well, right? They yeah. they need a checklist. I, I guess the way I'm referring to a checklist here is, you know, I have a checklist in the morning. I get up and I say my <laughs> prayers, and then I shower, you know, and those kinds of things. But it's not part. Of, I guess maybe I should say it this way: repentance is not part of a checklist. Well, so many people live their lives off of to do lists, yeah. and so to maybe to have a checklist of things that they need to do uh, uh, might be helpful. And I've heard, I've heard uh, three R's, I've heard five yeah. R's. I, I even remember a talk many, many years ago in my life. This individual really worked hard to come up with the eight R's of repentance. But here was the tragedy in that. The tragedy in the checklists and the cha- uh, tragedy of trying to put all of repentance listed by a word that begins with R, and you have five or seven or eight or however many you can come up with. In all of those cases, Scott, when I've heard a checklist to describe the process of repentance, the R that never gets listed 
the I've never heard this R in any of the great speeches and lectures on repentance is rely. Rely on your Redeemer. That that's the essence of repentance. Yeah. And yeah. no one ever no one ever uses that as part of their checklist is to rely on their Redeemer. Well, that's because one thing does not make a checklist, because that's really all we need is just that rely on our Savior and Redeemer. That is repentance. So in Elder Anderson's list, if those who, who need book. a list oh. want to work, it's so cool how, I think it's really beautiful how Elder Anderson turned these five R's <laughs> in yeah. into... Uh, a list that's focused on Christ. So he says, So he says, in essence, if, if you need a list, okay, then this is how you need to kind of see the list of repentance. And he, and he goes and gives them one. Recognize that what I have done, recognize. Recognize what I've done has offended Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's centered in Christ, our recognition. Uh, feel remorse, remorse. Remorse that our actions have offended God and caused Jesus Christ to suffer. Again, focused in Jesus Christ. Resolve to change my behavior, so resolve. And realize that my own willpower is not enough, and without the help of Christ, I am powerless to repent. Reform, okay? Uh, uh, If you need to reform, then you need to appeal to the grace and for the grace of Jesus Christ, his mercy and power, to help me not repeat uh, the past. Then he says, make restitution to those I've hurt and offended, especially, and more importantly, the Savior, who suffered the pains of all my sins. In this way, I'm repenting. So if we need an R, or you need a list of R's, or whatever your list may be, all of those must be centered in and focused on Jesus Christ and his atonement. So repentance is not a checklist I think it's really important that we see repentance as a process and more of a condition than it is an action. I know there's actions involved in repentance, but it primarily is a condition of that we call a broken heart and contrite spirit. In fact, in the Book of Mormon, it talks five times about meeting the conditions of repentance, not fulfilling the steps of repentance. And it's the conditions of repentance that we should focus on, not so much the steps of repentance. At least I think that's how the Lord teaches it. And the conditions of repentance are primarily a broken heart and contrite spirit. Paul describes it as being godly sorrow, godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. When we, when we have those conditions of repentance and we meet the conditions of repentance, the steps of repentance just seem to take care of themselves. Well, I, uh, I do know this, that as I've lived through my life, and, and I have a bit of a checkered past all by my own choice, um, and, you know, obviously influenced by some of the conditions in my life, maybe perhaps as well. But I do know that as I've gone through and as I have been taught and and chose to understand some of the things, and I, and I do take responsibility for my interpretation of what I was taught, and chose sometimes to interpret repentance as that checklist. I know that there were things on those, did you say five R's? I thought I remembered them being seven, but uh, whatever the case may be, uh, that I would look through those things, and I would feel like, uh I'm not doing so well on that one, but I've got the other ones covered. Uh, and so, you know, maybe that's good enough. And, and, and there's a big danger. You know, there is big danger in looking at our, our, our repentance process as simply a checklist. You know, we, what happened for me and what I realized, Dave, and it's not the process and it's not the churches and it's not the teacher's fault for my interpretation of this, but I know I'm not alone because Learning and thinking about repentance, I, I, and I'm going to strike that, not learning, but th- my interpretation of what I was taught, thinking about repentance as a checklist, it really actually delayed my true repentance Yeah, in a, lo- in a, in a big way. Well, for sure. I, um, 
as a, as a new missionary, Scott, trying to repent of my sins, I just felt that I could not beat myself up enough right. or be punished enough uh, in order to be forgiven or to feel like I was worthy. And I kept confessing over and over and over again. I kept writing letters home to my stake president, which he never responded to for the first six months of my mission. <laughs> he, he I, in fact, I'll never forget the letter I finally got from him. I kept, I kept writing home saying, "I don't feel worthy to be here, President. I don't feel worthy to be here. Maybe I should come home." And I was working out, you know, as hard as I could and being obedient as I could. And finally, I get this letter back from my dear, sweet stake president, who I, who I still love, and uh, who I think actually gave me my patriarchal blessing. Yeah, maybe. His initials SR. Yeah, and. Anyway, he finally wrote me, and he said, Oh, David, I'm so sorry. I found your letter at the bottom of a pile of papers on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> and you are worthy to be there. And if, you, if you were honest with me, you're absolutely... And anyway, so I, that's, the kind of, that's kind of what I was experiencing the first almost year of my mission. Yeah. Until finally, after I think like the fifth reading of the Book of Mormon, I, I finally got it. I discovered what I was missing in Enos... Amulek, it was, it was all through the Book of Mormon about what repentance is instead of me being so focused on what repentance is not yeah. that I finally had an experience where I knew. I came to know in the, in the early wee morning hours after midnight in a little boarding home in Pacific Grove, California. I knew that I had repented of my sins and that my efforts and especially the feelings and conditions of my heart were right and he, he had accepted and that I was, that I was forgiven, that I, I would never be perfect or sinless, but I was worthy enough. And it, it totally changed the projection of my, of my mission and, um, your life, really. And my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's why this uh, subject, I think, is so important with, yeah. for me, because I, I suffered over a year, really. If you, if you take pre-mission to, to when I had that experience, I, I suffered a lot trying to pay for my sins, not realizing or accepting uh, or accessing the power of Christ, his payment, and his suffering for my sins. Well, as we've uh, talked about calling upon the name of Jesus, as we've talked about what that begins to look like and motivates us and moves us into a more fulfilling, a more complete coming unto him, as we've talked about and begin as we move into this repentance process, uh, we've talked about two really important concepts of what repentance is not. We have more to go, and we're going to cover those in upcoming podcasts. Obviously, our next one will move into steps, uh, or not steps, but uh, number three and four of what repentance is not. I'll give you a little preview. We're going to talk about how it is not changing, be just changing behavior and turning towards the Savior, and we're going to talk about how repentance alone repentance alone does not redeem us. And so we'll get into those things in next week and in following weeks. And so I'll, 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 one other thing, Scott, is that we have to understand that repentance is not an institutional activity. There you go. Yeah. Repentance is through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And the role of the church is to help members to understand that and help them to activate the atonement and power of Jesus Christ in their lives. It is not an institutional activity through the church. I read um, one of the brethren had saved all these stories about, I, I mean, it was the thickest loose leaf you can think of, hundreds of stories about repentance. And uh, I went through and researched those uh, for a project and read all of those and uh, pulled out the few um, 
I mean, there there were there were several, but in in relative comparison to all of these hundreds of stories that had been preserved over the years, it was really surprising and a little saddening uh, how many uh, had really focused their repentance in and through. Uh, Jesus Christ and His atonement. So many, so many talked about uh, how they had received forgiveness from the church and through the church, and how how great they felt when they confessed their sins to their bishop. and And I'm not saying that's not important. I'm not saying that's not part of the process. I'm just saying that repentance is not just an institutional activity through the church. It is almost completely, absolutely. Uh, it has to be centered in and focused on Jesus Christ and his atonement. And that's the role of the church, is to help individuals to learn that and to do that. And to bring us unto him through it. And I think that that's sometimes often misunderstood. We'll get more into that, too, as we uh, conclude or, or complete this discussion uh, around repentance, which obviously is going to take more than a couple of podcasts to do. This is super important stuff that we're talking about here, because one of the things that makes this so important, David, is it's so easily misunderstood. I know I have. You know, you talk about I, my my story. If it were at that time in that book that you just referenced, I probably wouldn't have been one of those that you would have pulled out as an example, because that's my thinking. That's my and, and I know that many of our listeners are in the same process, have the same thought process, and we're trying to reconcile what repentance really is. And I know for me, sometimes when I look at these, even when I teach these now in our Institute uh, class, that oftentimes I'll look at these and I will even feel a tinge of, I don't know, guilt or like, uh, I'm not quite, there's, there's gotta be more to it. And then I have to bring myself back to center through a reminder, a spiritual reminder. Typically, sometimes that comes through my wife. Sometimes that comes through a thought or a feeling or in a prayer, but I have to remind myself that these things are true, that these things are actually accurate, that what I have been conditioned or chose to condition myself to in the past is inaccurate. And furthermore, more importantly, dangerous dangerous to my progression along the path of calling upon his name. There's unfortunately a lot of false traditions about uh, what repentance is and what it looks like and what it's not. And President Nelson described a little bit this, that it literally means, right, uh, um, metaneho, it means a metamorphosis, it means a change, and not just change of behavior, which we'll talk about, Atheists can change their behavior, but repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of life, a newness of life, that, that that's what repentance is. But, but unfortunately, when the Bible was translated, the word metneho was changed in Latin to ponetir. Ponetir, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm by the way, pronouncing those right. I think it's perfect. <laughs> but, but the Latin word they used in the early Latin Vulgate of the Bible literally meant to be punished. Mm. Repentance meant punishment. Yeah. And that's why Catholic Inquisitions, that's why there were other means where the Catholic Church felt it was their role to punish sinners was because that's literally the word that that they had mistranslated it to mean. Right. Well, that that was a false tradition that in in some I guess religious traditions continues. And, and unfortunately, maybe maybe sometimes in our own church. Right. Individuals or even some priesthood leaders have have made that mistake. Uh, sometimes innocently to think that that it's our role to punish ourselves or to punish others in the church for their sins. That, that is a, a gross uh, miscalculation and understanding of what the atonement of Jesus Christ is and who and what it covers. I'm so glad to know that. It's just so hard the other way. It's an impossibility for most humans to really turn to the Savior looking at things the way that it's, I at least used to look at them, and I'm grateful. It's, 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 what's the word you used? It's so hard? Yeah. 
Well, it's not only hard, it's it's damning. Yeah, it is damning. It's damning. It stops our ability and progress to really re- repent and to rely upon Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we're, we, we are unable, incapable of having the Spirit in its fullness in our lives, which is the administrator of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which does heal and comfort and provide miracle to so much in our lives that's out of skew that this is the catalyst or the beginning or the 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 kind of the center, the hub, if you will, of where we begin to fully call upon him, to fully take upon us his name, to allow his spirit to be working and constant in our lives so that we can put on the atonement of Jesus Christ, which will affect every other aspect of our life. Wow, what a great uh, time it's been to be with you again, Dave. I learned so much, uh, but above all, I'm so grateful for the spirit that attends us as we are here talking about these sacred things, as we're here talking about a sacred solution to eternal life that invites us, envelops us, and, and through our Heavenly Father's spirit, and ultimately and most importantly through the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as was enacted through his atonement, allows us to become joint heirs uh, and to allow allows us to have peace in this life and eternal life in the life to come. Thanks for being with us. It's been another great uh, time to be together. We look forward to many more of these in the, again in the future. Until then, though, may God bless you. May you feel his love and constant companionship of the Spirit of the Holy Ghost as you put on the atonement of Jesus Christ in your own lives. Thanks for being here.